welcome to Covenant Presbyterian Church of Fort Smith's weekly sermon podcast. Covenant is a church devoted to theological depth, intimate relationships, joyous worship, relentless evangelism, and sacrificial service. Coming up, a sermon from our series, Redemption Applied, the Ministry of the Holy Spirit. Here now is our pastor, Dr. John Clayton. We're going to look at Galatians together. We're going to look at Galatians chapter 5, so be turning there with me. It is a familiar text. I would imagine that if you have grown up going to church, that you have heard this text preached and taught a number of times, but it never gets old, does it? God's Word is new every single time we open the pages of Scripture, and I'm thankful to look at this text today because... Don't forget this one truth. The Holy Spirit bears fruit. Not you. The Holy Spirit bears fruit. Let's look at this text today. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's go to him dependently in prayer. O Lord our God, make your word a swift word, passing from ear to the heart, from the heart to the lip and conversation, that as the rain returns not empty, so neither may your word, but accomplish that for which it is given, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. As was read today in the 15th chapter of John, Jesus calls himself in that text the true vine, and his father the vine dresser. That is the vine dresser who cuts off the branches that do not bear fruit, but prunes those branches that do bear fruit, that they may produce more fruit. Those of you who don't work in the garden, that's how it works. You prune that more fruit may be born. The vineyard analogy emphasizes, of course, as we heard it read today, and as I would call your attention to it now, it of course emphasizes God's sovereign selection, but also dependence Upon the Son's provision. Or let me just put it simply. No vine, no branch, no fruit. It's that simple. Fruit then is telling of authenticity. As Jesus explains in verse 4 and 5 of that same chapter 15. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Abiding, that that he is in union with Christ by faith, then bears fruit. To be clear, the imperative that Jesus gives here is not bear much fruit to abide in Christ. 
That, that would be the opposite of the truth of Scripture, isn't it? But in fact, we abide in Christ to bear much fruit. Apart from Him, there is no fruit. There is then no such thing as a fruitless Christian. Though yield may vary as well as seasons, fruit's presence doesn't. Fruit is proof positive. As Jesus says, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. So it couldn't, shouldn't be any more clear than that. There is no such thing as a fruitless Christian. In the Old Testament, Israel was called God's vine, but was not faithful in bearing fruit, and so was judged. Jesus came then as the true vine, doing what Israel did not, bearing fruit of righteousness. Living in perfect obedience, Jesus died the sinless substitute for all who would look to Him by faith. Dying an atoning sacrifice for our sin, He was resurrected to life that we may live. I'm reminding you of this truth because He then is not a dead or dormant vine, but is very much alive. We don't look to Him as an historical example to be followed, but we look to Him as the very source of life both now and forever. Life that is proven through the fruit borne out in our lives by the Holy Spirit. And so as we look at this fifth chapter in Galatians today, we see, and leading up to it, that the Apostle Paul makes a distinction. And I didn't read this part of the, the Scripture. I wanted to isolate it just to verse 22 and 23. But if we were to look at it in context, what Paul does in this chapter is he says, okay, there's two kinds of fruit. There's fruit of the flesh, and then there's fruit of the Spirit. Spirit and flesh both bear fruit. Just not the same kind of fruit. For example, the Spirit produces love. The flesh, enmity. The spirit, peace. The flesh, dissension. The spirit, patience. The flesh, anger. The spirit, self-control. The flesh, intemperance, and so on. The fruit that Jesus describes that comes from Him is the fruit of the Spirit, which tells of the Spirit of Christ's presence within all who believe. There is no fruit of the Spirit apart from His presence. Paul says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It's not an exhaustive list, but demonstrable attributes of one singular fruit. Note, it's singular. It's not the fruits of the Spirit, but the fruit of the Spirit. And what he lists is not an exhaustible list, but the attributes of that one fruit 
that the Spirit produces. And while, and oftentimes some people will get this confused between gifts and graces of the Spirit, there are various gifts of the Spirit, and they do in fact vary from believer to believer. But the fruit of the Spirit are the graces of the Spirit, and they do not vary from believer to believer. We do not pick and choose the attributes of the Holy Spirit's fruit. Let me give you an example, or actually several. Love is not present and joy absent. Now I want you to listen carefully to me because the church and some in the church will teach you differently. This may be new to you. Don't miss this. Because what I see in the church is someone who can call themselves Christian and say, I have the joy of the Lord and yet disregard a love for the brother in Christ. No, 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 triple no, quadruple no, no. The fruit of the Spirit is singular. Kindness is not absence from goodness, nor faithfulness from gentleness and self-control. Though fruit may vary in yield, its attributes will not Do not think that you can enjoy the Spirit-filled life and not love your brother. Do not think that you show Spirit-filled peace and have no self-control. Do not think that you are kind but have no patience with others. Faithfulness in the Christian life, you can be sure, will always be accompanied with goodness and gentleness. The Holy Spirit bears fruit, not options. This is not like you're going to the grocery store in the fruit section. And you're just going to pick the fruit you want. Nope, it doesn't work that way. Paul lists love appropriately first, as it is inclusive and the greatest of the other attributes, including as he mentions in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, both faith and hope. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. And we hear that passage read often at weddings, don't we? It's a fitting setting. But so also, we should read it to ourselves regularly in the church service too, shouldn't we? Because the fruit of the Spirit is indeed love. What Paul describes is not love by reciprocity. No one deserves this kind of love. I don't. Well, you don't either. Because it is the same love with which... God loves us from Him, 
by Him, and through Him. And God shows His love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That is Spirit-filled love. And it's impossible. It's impossible for me to love you and you to love me apart from the Holy Spirit's ministry because that is extraordinary supernatural love. Carnal love says, I will never forgive that person. They hurt me so bad. And the Holy Spirit says, you mean just like your sin against God? I bet you can. By God's grace alone, through faith in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone, God can do amazing supernatural things in this old calloused heart. And He can in you as well. It is not a worldly love produced by our flesh, but God's love, Paul says in Romans, has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Which means, by the ministry of the Holy Spirit, I can love the unlovable. You can love the unlovable. In fact, one scholar says that given the choice of the word that Paul uses in the context in which he uses it, that he is probably inferring this very kind of love. The love for the unlovable. Because that's what we are. We are the unlovable, but God has loved us in Christ. Don't tell me of your Christian maturity and live out a love of hatred to your brother. It's a sham. God is love given in Christ and every true branch bears this kind of love. Well, I've got to move on from love Paul moves to joy. But joy also, seen throughout Scripture, is a defining Christian attribute. It is not worldly happiness, to be clear. But it is gospel-rooted. Gospel-rooted joy. As the sinner saved from condemnation and death by God's grace lives in the Spirit-produced joy of this reality. It is neither spontaneous. Oh, I had joy for a second there. Nor is it circumstantial. But it is steady. It is a substantive joy. Don't mistake it for the highs and lows of your flesh. As joy may be present even in the worst of times. Joy may be present even in the midst of catastrophe. It is an attribute that characterizes the one captive to the gospel of Jesus Christ. A fullness of joy that rests squarely on our union with Christ. Peace, or shalom as it's named in Hebrew, is broader than simply the absence of conflict or war. Let's just be at peace. Well, that, that's a good thing to want, but that's, that's not exactly what this word means, although it can include it. 
It's a broader term used throughout the New Testament. And as we see it used within the New Testament, it is a one-word description of what Christ accomplished for us, reconciling us to God. As the Holy Spirit has wrought this peace in our conquered hearts, so also we are able to be at peace with others, even those who disagree with us. And you're going to want to write that down and note it heading into 2024. You really can, supernaturally. (laughs) Consider the peace that we enjoy with God, which is not based on what we do, but what God has done in Christ for us. The Holy Spirit's presence within us blesses us as peacemakers, Jesus called us. In fact, in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, as peacemakers, it reveals us as the children of God. Following peace is patience, which I might as indeed a virtue, but the Christian's life often reveals this patience in hardship. In fact, it can be understood as endurance through adversity. Endurance through adversity. Of course, patience is demonstrated perfectly in the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul explains this in 1 Timothy when he says that Christ displays his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. My flesh has very little patience for others. And yet God has demonstrated such patience with me and with you and by His Spirit. So we do. Such is the extraordinary, and I'm not using that word with hyperbole, such is the extraordinary patience of our Lord, which He also produces extraordinarily in us by His Holy Spirit, enabling us, empowering us to do the very thing that our flesh hates, have patience with one another. Have patience with one another, especially those who have wronged us. The Holy Spirit reproduces, if you think about it that way, Because it is the patience of Christ, right? So the Holy Spirit reproduces that patience in us. And I love the way that William Barclay describes this. He says, It is God's undefeatable patience with people and God's undiscourageable patience with events. (laughs) It's no wonder that it is described in the New Testament as surpassing all understanding. A verse that has become so familiar with us that I think that we have forgotten. It is really a patience that surpasses all understanding. It makes no sense at all. Kindness, which is next on the list, is demonstrated in God's grace to sinners. Like you and like me. We'll recall that in Romans chapter 2 we read God's kindness is meant to lead us to repentance. And the one to whom God has shown kindness is able to show kindness to others. Notably, as the word infers, a willingness to serve, a willingness to help others. 
It's very similar to the next word on the list of goodness, which includes a willing generosity, which transcends the imaginable. Well, according to Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, Love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and the unjust. You see, the child of God knows that he or she has been shown kindness and goodness of God which in turn God shines through us by His Holy Spirit. Faithfulness is a trustworthiness that is rooted in trusting God, who is always faithful, Scripture says, while gentleness, or it's also the same word as meekness, while gentleness or weakness has been referred to as power, under control, but it's also a humility exemplified in Christ, who though he was in the form of God, did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross." Yeah, that's power under control, is it not? Gentleness counts others more significant than ourselves (laughs) and conveys a sweetness of spirit that reveals the presence of Christ. That's a beautiful thing. So also self-control, which connotes a bridling of human passion or temperance. Self-control keeps us from gluttony, drunkenness, sexual promiscuity, as well as other lusts of the flesh. You see, the Christian is not at liberty to indulge in the flesh in the sinful desires. (laughs) But rather, the Holy Spirit restrains our flesh, and we obey the Lord in doing so, revealing our love for God and our love for our neighbor. Well, Paul's list of attributes of the Holy Spirit's fruit is telling of what the Christian life is to demonstrate. And we are each indwelled by the Holy Spirit. I want to repeat that. The Holy Spirit bears fruit. Every Christian is indwelled by the Holy Spirit. What Paul lists is not a fruit of merit, nor works, but proof positive of His presence. Now, there are, of course, virtues of God's common grace, which we see in the world at large, such as love. There is a common grace aspect to love. Not what Paul's talking about here in his attributes. 
This is a fruit that is born only by the indwelling Holy Spirit. And it is only by God's grace through faith in Christ. That's why Paul could say at the conclusion of verse 23, and it makes complete sense when you understand this, against such things there is no law. Why would he add that at the end of verse 23? Because such things come by God's grace alone, through faith in Christ alone, who kept the law perfectly, died sacrificially, arose victoriously that we might live in Him, bearing the very same fruit that He characterizes by His indwelling Spirit. In other words, we don't earn fruit. We bear it. Why then is fruit not evident in every Christian? Well, one possibility, and I think that this is candidly rampant throughout our country, one possibility is the one who is called Christian may not be. For example, the one who cannot love but instead harbors hatred, may very well not know the love of God in Christ at all. Or the one who knows not the joy of the Lord, may not know the Lord since, Paul writes in Philippians, that there is joy in faith. Likewise, a lack of peace that results in inner church strife and dissension may very well reveal a lack of peace with God. We cannot dismiss this. Listen, the Christian life is far too precious to fake it. If you find yourself in this moment realizing that in your life there is no evidence of the Holy Spirit's fruit at all, I mean at all, Do not let this moment pass you by. Repent of your sin. Trust solely in Christ as your Savior. He and He alone will save you from the curse of sin. The judgment of deserving of it. And He will give you eternal life. And He will give give you His Spirit to empower you to bear the fruit of the Spirit. Do not let this moment pass you by. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You may, however, know the Lord and through your life have witnessed some fruit, but witness it sparingly. And I think this often describes many of us. And this should concern us. It should concern us if we're not seeing the fruit of the Spirit, these attributes that Paul provides, borne out in our lives. Because a lack of spiritual fruit in the Christian life reveals sin within our lives. Christian, if you are not seeing spiritual fruit in your life, it is time to confess your sins. And I mean like immediately, not like after the service. I mean like right now, Confess your sins, for He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But if you would harbor your sin, unwilling to just let it go, unwilling to confess it, but instead just to wallow in it, is essentially 
to deny that sin and ignore it. But John says, when you do that, you make God a liar and His Word is not in you. Heed John's caution and look to Christ who, let me remind you, loved us and gave Himself up for us. What God desires in us and what we desire as His is to bear fruit. And as His church, He has graciously given us His means of grace that we would bear much fruit. Through His Word, through the sacraments such as the Lord's Supper, through prayer, He grows us in His grace. God has truly provided everything we need, even His indwelling presence. May He be glorified in your life. May He be glorified in my life as we bear this fruit for His glory. Let's pray. Our gracious God, You know us well. And You know how prone we are to ensnare ourselves with things that would keep us from bearing the fruit of the Spirit. We ask for Your forgiveness. We ask for Your mercy. We ask that You would renew a right spirit within us. That as we repent of our sin, as we confess our sin, as we, we turn to Christ and using the means of grace that You have provided that our lives would bear fruit. I pray for this church. I pray as a local church that we would be a fruit-bearing church. We thank You that You have provided everything that we need that You may be glorified in and through us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon. We hope you have grown in your knowledge of and love for God. Covenant Presbyterian is a PCA church that meets for worship on Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. Our address is 120 North 9th Street in historic downtown Fort Smith, Arkansas. For more information about Covenant, visit our website at www.cpcfs.org.